Could the 2024 elections be America's last stand? Author Drew Thomas Allen unpacks his blueprint to keep that from happening on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Allen's book bursts out with this quote from Christina Bob who is a Marine and an attorney for President Donald J. Trump. Quote, the left's attacks against former President Trump and America are unprecedented in U.S. history. Drew Thomas Allen has written a powerful and timely book that gives Americans the fuel they need to confront and defeat the threat of tyranny in our time. Honest and unapologetic, Allen sees opportunity rather than despair as he charges a new generation of Americans to rescue America. America's last stand is the right book at the right time, end quote. Extremely well stated. So then, let's get into it. As the vice president of client development at the prestigious Publius Public Relations communication firm, He has worked as a publicist for a variety of high-profile names, including Dr. Ben Carson, Alan Dershowitz, Carrie Lake, Peter Navarro, and Dr. Naomi Wolf. He's an in-demand political analyst who has appeared on Newsmax, GB News, and on radio stations across the country. And there's more. He's also a widely published columnist and host of the popular Drew Allen Show podcast. Author of the new book, America's Last Stand, Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024, I welcome to the show Drew Thomas Allen. Drew, how are you? I'm good. I'm so honored to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm honored to have you. Uh, We'll talk about our relationship a little bit later and in the show. But uh, you said you had a book coming out. And when that book came out, I said, you know, you move right up to the front of the list. So here you are. I didn't know what the book was going to be about, but I know what you're what you're about. And uh, really happy that you're here. Uh, You begin the book stating that Santa Claus isn't real. And uh, I found this hilarious. Uh, There's no cheery fat guy living at the North Pole with Mrs. Claus in some socialist paradise where an army of elves hang out for 11 months of the year until December rolls around. And they joyfully go to work assembling tens of millions of toys to order as kids submit their lists to satellite Santas at their local shopping malls. It's absurd. But there was a time when I believed all of that to be true. End quote. Sadly, this remains a reality for far too many leftists who have cast aside their personal responsibility afforded we the people in the Constitution in favor of the new Santa Claus, big government. Is that what you're trying to say here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two things. One, there is, yes, the expansive welfare state uh, that has really crippled people's ability to succeed in this country, uh, especially in the black community, frankly. There's three chapters on what the Democrat Party has done to blacks in America and the big lie of how they're the you know biggest proponents of, of freedom for blacks in America. It, it's a lie. But anyway, nonetheless, yeah, I mean, of course we have this. But on the other hand, too, you know, growing up with a Santa Claus uh, sham, as I call it, too, you know, none of it makes any sense. 
but you believe it because you want to believe it. And eventually you get to a certain age and you wake up and you realize inevitably like, wait a, wait a second, Santa Claus actually isn't real. And you don't continue to go throughout your life believing that once it's been proven that it's not real. And your parents don't also lie, continue to lie to you when the game's over and say, no, 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 Santa's real. You know, imagine if you had a 40 year old that's that's still believing in Santa Claus, you know, uh, but that's what we have in America with a lot of Americans who believe in things like climate change, who went along with the COVID stuff for so long. It didn't matter what the facts were. It didn't matter that, you know, they were watching their parents uh, putting presents under the tree. They still denied reality. And that's what we have in America today with so many of the Democrat Party policies. If you look at the, the Biden administration, the Biden regime, if you will, all they can do is lie. Yeah, I mean, we, we are all hurting financially. Uh, we've all, you know, inflation is is killing Americans, and you have this basically uh, sociopathic almost administration and elites is what they are who are telling you ignore your wallet, your bank's lying to you. Actually, you're doing great. You've never been better in your life, and that's what we've had with Trump when they told us things were so bad when we had it so good, and that's and now we've got it so bad, and they tell us it's so good, or it would be worse if we had Trump. So this is what I'm dealing with: this mentality where we need to grow up and stop. I, I don't know, being so so almost religiously devoted to these ideologies, and just have some common sense. You know, as you were talking, Drew. It suddenly dawned on me that this is a perfect parallel because when you're a child, you wake up, you look under the tree and you see gifts. You have no idea what it took to get those gifts under the tree. You don't know what they cost. You don't know what your parents may have had to sacrifice to get them, nor do you care. All you do is you wake up and you see free stuff for me. I remember an old time comic, the, a lot of people would have known him from the TV show, the popular TV sitcom Sanford and Son, but Red Fox talked about when he realized there was no Santa Claus. He said he was nine years old living in the ghetto, and uh, the night before Christmas, his father uh, went outside, took a shotgun, fired a shot, came back in and said, Santa Claus just committed suicide. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's really interesting because when you think about it, kids just know it's free. They take the gifts and they go about their business. And what a lot of these people are doing on the left in particular, they're taking what the government is giving them and they're not even thinking about where is the money coming from to pay for this? Are these gifts safe? Like, you don't put the keys to a Ferrari under the tree of a nine-year-old, right? So they're not even thinking about whether the gift, I should have this gift or not. And we're just thinking these people are just saying big government, whatever big government's giving me, I just take it. And they don't care if Gary Benford, who can't afford it, and Drew Thomas Allen, who maybe can or maybe can or has the right not to afford if he doesn't want to, paying their freight. Yeah, and, and really what it what it comes to, I mean, this has been happening obviously for generations now, decades and decades of this kind of indoctrination. We're so far from the mentality of, of course, the founding fathers and even people not that long ago. I mean, my father's generation, uh, your generation, certainly my, my great-grandfather's generation, 
they understood uh, they they understood their relationship with the government. They understood the contractual agreement that is uh, represented in the Constitution, which says that we the people are actually the master, and those in government are the servant. We don't want the government to do a bunch of stuff for us. Just just do what your constitutional duties are. Defend the border. You know all the things that the government refuses to do to today. Do. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what their responsibility. And so instead today, we have a bunch of Americans who believe that they are subservient to the government. That they, they don't really believe in their inherent ability to, to succeed. They believe, they mistake that where there's a need, there's a right. There, there are a lot of problems mentally in this country. And of course, it is on both sides of the aisle. You know, the Republicans don't necessarily get a pass. I describe myself, Gary, as a conservative. Um, you know, I'm, I'm well aware of history. I understand our two-party system. The Republican Party actually has a wonderful history in terms of being the party of Lincoln, which actually was born to confront the issue of slavery because mm -hmm. no party. It, it's ironic where we are today because, of course, the Republican Party was born out of a need. There was no party who could take on the Democrat Party at that time. They're all weak, feckless parties. And now, of course, we have a Republican Party. We need them to be strong. We need them uh, to defend the country against the attacks from the Democrat Party. And they're very weak as well. But, of course, we have a champion in Trump who is able to, of course, attract a lot of people uh, who are sick of the Republican Party, sick of the Democrat Party, somebody who really puts America first. I hear you, and that's what I, uh, I I really try and tell people. And as you know, I've been telling people on this show for the three years it's been on. It it, it used to be Republicans versus Demo Democrats. Then it went uh, constitutionalists versus communists. And now I just see it really, you know, as uh, America first versus globalists. And the problem with the Republican Party, a lot of Republicans are globalists. They want to become part of the global initiative. They want to become part of the global world. There's money and finances and all kinds of things in it. That's why wars were continuing. And you segued right into where I wanted to go right next. The man that understands it should be America first. And I absolutely love your introduction. Your first statement, quote, if you have a problem figuring out whether to vote for Trump or Biden, then you ain't American. Uh, once again, that's so nice. I'm going to say it twice. If you have a problem figuring out whether to vote for Trump or Biden, it's not then you ain't black. It's then you ain't American. Please tell the people what you mean, Drew. Yeah, I mean, you have one person, Donald Trump, who has sacrificed so much for the American people, who's been attacked in an unprecedented fashion since 2016. We're going on eight years of that now. Uh, and of course, we lived under the Trump presidency and we've lived under the Biden presidency and no American can objectively claim that they were better off under Biden than they were under Trump. And the Democrat party and Joe Biden and any other Democrat who might replace him as the Democrat nominee uh, as we head into 2024 does not have America's uh, well, they do not represent Americans. They do not represent American ideals. They are an anti-American party at this point. You have a Democrat party who wants um, infanticide, effectively, is what they now support as a political party. They had a vote in the House you know, a little while back where uh, Republicans wanted to uh, require that doctors save the lives of mm -hmm. those babies who were, they tried to abort, but we're still alive. Therefore, they were viable, right? And the Democrats pretty much unanimously, maybe one disagreed, but unanimously voted, no, no, no. If they want that baby dead, you let the baby die. 
You have a Democrat Party who, of course, is so corrupt in the person of Joe Biden and the rest that they have done more for the Taliban than they have for the American citizen. Uh, you have a Democrat Party that supports gender theory, which is so just, it's evil, frankly. Telling mm -hmm. little 12-year-old Johnny to cut off his pee, pee if he feels like it. And then encouraging him to do that. And in states like California, they've already done this in Washington State. You know, if the parents want to intervene, of course, because they're the parents, and say, no, we're not going to go down this road, Johnny. You're 12 years old. Then they can take the kid away from the parents. I mean, every policy, whether it's economically, national security, every policy that the Democrat Party and the Biden administration embraces uh, is towards the destruction and annihilation of our way of life, and it erodes the rights of the American citizen. And so if you don't know in 2024 whether to vote for Joe Biden or another Democrat or Trump, then you sincerely aren't American. Yeah, because you don't stand for the values that America stood for and supposed to still stand for. I get that. Now, why is the left obsessed with shoving down our patriotic throat their mantra that Trump is this monstrous, monstrous threat to democracy? Correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, but aren't the Marxists, socialists, progressives, communists, radicals, and all the likes that spew their anti-God, anti-American garbage on the left side of the ledger? <laughs> of course they are. And, you know, as a segue into answering your question, you know, one of the things I do point out in the book, and I think that people need to be very aware of this, is the left likes to play with language. We know that. They bastardize phrases. They, they create new meanings where meanings don't exist. And one of the things they do, for example, is they adopt, you know, far left, far right in America. The way they adapt it here doesn't even apply to America because the left is, in fact, far left communist and they're far right fascist. The root of fascism and communism is socialism. That's the root of it all. So fascists, of course, the only difference between fascism and communism is in, under, under communism, you do not have private enterprise. It's all owned by the state. Under fascism, you're permitted to have private industry, except that private industry must serve the interests of the state. So it's superficial. That's what the Democrat Party is in America. So they come in and they say, you know, Trump and MAGA, they're far right. Far right, we're constitutionalists. We believe in the rule of law. Mm -hmm. So this is something they do here when they call us far right and extremists. All the extremism is on the left. I mean, what, what it, when they talk about extremism in terms of us, Gary, oh yeah, you and I are very extreme, Gary, because we believe in the Constitution. Isn't that just crazy? Isn't that just so extreme? So. Uh, so anyway, th that, that's what they do with the language, and it's not true, and they create all these false narratives. But th the Democrats, they can't run on their agenda. They can't run on their policy, right? Because ultimately, their policies fail by design. Their policies aren't intended to create wealth. Their policies aren't intended, and that's what people have to understand, too, is that the Democrat Party, it's not that they— have the best interest of America at heart, and they just make mistakes and their policies don't work. It's that they actually want to hurt America. It's that they want to create totalitarianism and authoritarianism. That's why they, they push these policies. They know what they're doing at the top. And many Americans are bamboozled by that, of course, believing falsely that the Democrat Party is actually a good and decent party. So the reason they attack Trump like they do and call him Hitler and everything else is because they need to create a foil Right. They need to they need to they, they can't say vote for us because we're going to do X, Y and Z. It's always about this person's evil. This person's bad. So come to us. I mean, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book. And unfortunately, it works. You know, there's a commercial that we all laugh at 
that really nails this. And I don't know if they were trying. I think it's for progressive. It's for I, I forgot what it, I think it's for progressive insurance. But this is the commercial where they're doing the slasher movie thing. And you have the group of kids and they're running around at night and they're scared to death. And they see a red car, a red convertible and the keys are in it. And then they see a barn. And they said, look, a car. And one of, one of them, they, they're going to go to the car. And somebody says, no, let's go hide in the shed. So they go run and hide in the shed. And they're hiding in the shed in the slasher with the, with the hockey mask, which I assume is a takeoff on Jason from Friday the 13th, is standing with the machete right behind him. And he's just looking at him. You idiots just shaking their head. And that's exactly what you just described. You, you have people that are running right into the hands of the evil. And I'm a little older. I'm a lot older than you. And, but, but, and a lot of the old-time horror movies and slasher movies that always be this one girl who the guy was trying to save. One of the kids, in the, one of the guys in the movie is trying to save her. And... He's trying to tell her, don't go that way. And he runs to tell her, don't go that way. And no, you're the slasher. And she runs away from him and always runs into the slasher and gets killed. It always happens. Uh, why can't they understand what they're doing? Or is it they do know and just don't care? Well, I think that it's the way the Democrat Party uh, um has indoctrinated them. So you and I are pretty confident in our beliefs. We get challenged a lot. We can probably defend ourselves and our positions. In my case, I grew up in Texas to conservative parents, but actually was educated and around liberals my whole life because I went to an all-male college preparatory school in Dallas, a Jesuit school. I went to Pepperdine, which is conservative, but I was a theater major. I was an actor in New York City. I worked in fashion for Marc Jacobs opening stores. I managed one in Milan. I speak Italian. So anyway, my point is I worked in Hollywood. I've been around liberals all the time. So I, you know, I can do this and I, I can I can separate uh you know, their ideology from themselves. So because someone is a Democrat, I don't necessarily think they're an evil, horrible person that I can't talk to, right? But what's happened in the Democrat party, especially since kind of the 2016 election, and I lost a lot of friends. They wouldn't, they're not friends with me. People that were in my wedding, Gary, this is this was a very scary thing to me in terms of what's happening in the country. My best man in my wedding, and we were married in 2017, I guess. Uh, yes. Hopefully my I keep, my wife can't listen to this episode now, Gary, because I, I I botched, you know. But uh, <laughs> so so you know so we're married, you know, 2017, whatever. My come 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 to uh, uh the election in 2020, and because of you know COVID and the way they framed Trump as Hitler murdering everybody like intentionally, like he was injecting people with COVID. You know, I was I voted for Trump in 2020, and ties were completely severed with me. Actually, none of my friends from high school that I've been friends with for, you know, two decades talk to me anymore. So I would still be friends with him and could have a dis disagreement of opinion, right? That's how I am as a conservative. I don't think they're evil because they believe something foolish, but they think I'm evil because I believe what I do and voted for Trump. And so this is kind of a difference between us and them 
if you will. And you see this and it's very dangerous. And so when they talk about, again about Trump being Hitler and so on and so forth, Trump is not the one who's giving speeches behind a, uh, a uh, Independence Hall in Philadelphia lit blood red. Remember when Biden stands there and basically attacked 70 plus million Americans who voted for Trump, calling them MAGA extremists. Uh, I mean, that's that's Hitler's speech, right? That's us versus them, which leads to genocide. And that's what's scary about this this situation in America today is because, you know, you can look at similarities between a lot of things, but certainly the Civil War. And one of the one of the problems with the Civil War is that the North and South felt like they had nothing in common, nothing in common. And and they really, <laughs> you know, there's a dehumanization that that, that that happens. And that that's what's happening in America. And we saw this, too, with COVID. I mean, I, you know, living in California, if when I would go to get a coffee or something like you know, we were locked down a long time out here and they'd mm -hmm. lift things and put them back in place and the masks and everything else. I remember going to a coffee shop in my little town where I live here in the Napa Valley. And there was a girl that was wearing, I don't care, she's wearing three masks and it was actually open air. And I asked for a coffee. She wouldn't serve me a coffee until I put a mask in my face. I didn't have a mask. You know, and it's it's like, it's this, this in the, the, people, people are, they're people that gravitate towards this kind of tyranny. Uh, they lay long for this type of power. And it's a, it's a scary thing. And the Democrat Party appeals to the worst vices of mankind. They really do. They do, Drew. And I, I feel your pain. I got married a little before you. I got married in 1984. And nobody, none of the males, nobody, none of the, nobody talks to me anymore. I'm no longer married to the woman I was married to. She's remarried. Uh, you know, and uh, she wrote me after, uh, it's funny, because uh, you were responsible for uh, helping to get, uh, you guys pitched me from Publius, and we'll talk about that later, Dr. Ben Carson, who has been on my show twice. And I sent her the podcast, and she writes me the scathing email. Your parents, if they were alive, they'd be, they'd be totally embarrassed by you and they're turned they'd be turning over in their grave if they knew what you were doing you know and she worked in the beltway and then she's a liberal and, and everybody they did the same thing with me all my guys my college friends my closest friends my best friends and what's interesting it wasn't after i got born again and became a follower of jesus in 1997 it was after donald trump it's amazing. And and Donald Trump, I did not know him. But when I was a sports writer here in New York for the New York Daily News and previously for Newsday, I had interviewed Donald Trump twice when he uh, was the uh, owner of the New Jersey Generals football team. And I knew a lot of people that knew Donald Trump. And when I was in the music business, the rappers like Trump, the actors, the actresses, the athletes, everybody loved the Donald until he came down those stairs. So it's absolutely amazing. Now, a question that I hadn't thought to ask you, and here's the obvious question that everybody wants to know. Okay, you were raised in Texas, but you were around a lot of liberals. I was a Democrat till I got born again in 1997. How did you survive being around all of these liberals and not take the blue pill? Yeah, the great question. Because a lot of people, uh, the more you are, they 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 change people. People, they they start like Obama. Remember, well, I I don't believe in same sex marriage. Well, I've been talking to my liberal friends and blah 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 blah. Honestly, uh, I'm kind of joking here, but one answer is Rush Limbaugh. Growing up with great my, answer. Growing up with my dad, 
I'm 36, so I was born in 1987. Uh, growing up with my father, um, you know, I played competitive soccer. I was in the car a lot, driving. Um, you know, my school was, uh, when I went to high school, the all-male all school was, you know, 30 minutes away from where we lived. So I, I spent a lot of time in the car. And my dad always had Rush Limbaugh on. And just by osmosis between my dad and listening to that, you know, if you do that day in and day out over the years, uh, you know, Rush's great gift, of course, was that he would really explain conservative uh, conservatism to people. He would find ways to put lessons in there so it wasn't superficial. You know, he would actually break things down. So you had kind of a comprehensive understanding. So I say that because I think that my education in terms of conservatism, it wasn't I wasn't conservative just because I grew up with conservative parents. That's not why. It's because I actually had lessons. It's it's because I was taught, uh, you know, a lot of important values that were not just surface level. And so those so when I came into contact with a lot of these liberal beliefs and ideologies, they didn't make sense to me. And I always had I already had kind of a, a basic um, education with which to adjudicate because you know, you asked me that, and it's funny because now that I reflect on it, when I got to college at Pepperdine, for example, you know, I mean, even even Pepperdine, which is a religious school uh, affiliated with the Churches of Christ, it was there are a lot. I mean, you know, it's a college. Universities are just bastions of 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 liberalism these days, and I I can't tell you how many people that I got to school with who were from Oklahoma or some conservative place that were conservative like me, and by the time we graduated. They had all switched That's and they all I mean. become Democrats, yeah. mm -hmm. but not me, not me. And um, I, 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 I don't know. I just, I mean, I thank God that I, I didn't. But I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. In some ways, I'm unique and I'm prepared to fight the fight in some way and, and appeal to people because of because I wasn't insulated. But at the same time, you know, someone like yourself, I'm a little bit envious of Gary because, like Ronald Reagan and these other people, I mean, the really the best people. Uh, in any movement to convince people and persuade people and convert people are people who were converts themselves. And I can't claim that for myself. You know, it's like the apostle Paul. I mean, what would, what would Christianity be without him? But of course he was persecuting Jews before. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the salt of Paul, I mean, but, and that's what I'm saying. So you're kind of like that. Reagan was like that. And, and I'm not like that actually. But the advantage that you have, see, you have an advantage because I went through civil rights. I went through the all of the bad stuff. I, I, I was around like uh, growing up in Summit, New Jersey. When I grew up in Summit, New Jersey, it, it, <laughs> couldn't if you were black, you couldn't sleep in the hotels you, and, and in restaurants you couldn't eat in. And this was suburban New Jersey. And what ended up happening was if our relatives came from Pittsburgh or South Carolina, we had to have them stay in a Holiday Inn 10 miles away. You know, and I traveled a, a lot of places, even in the late 60s, where there were some other, I'll tell you a crazy story. Uh, St. John's Arena, which is where, uh, on the Ohio State campus, this is 19, I guess it was going to be 1969, or was it 70s? 1970. Yeah, 1970, and uh, we went to see a basketball tournament. The NCAA tournament, it was Notre Dame, Iowa, Jacksonville, and Kentucky. And after that 
tournament, going back to campus, going back to campus, uh, at the time I was going to Ohio Northern University before I transferred to Ohio University where I finished up, we stopped at this little diner. And it's me and three other black guys in a Volk, yellow Volkswagen Beetle that a guy from Chicago was driving. And it was just a truck stop and, and nobody would serve us. And I'm and nobody would say, now I'm there from the middle. I'm from New Jersey. What do I know? So I eventually said, uh, excuse me, you're going to serve us? And the guy says, we don't serve niggers here. And I said, that's okay, because I don't eat them. And he said, oh, wise guy. He went in the back. We shot out to the car. The car got stuck in a gully, but he got we, he, he floored it and got that car out before that guy came out with his shotgun. When you shot us, I don't know, but that's the type of stuff I lived through. So I understand that I've lived through a lot of stuff along those lines. I was a Democrat until I became a Christian. So I was a Democrat until like 1997. So I've been on both sides of the fence. But the advantage you have, Drew, you didn't have to live through and have the scars like the Apostle Paul have had and the scars that I have. God put you amongst them where you got to see it without having to be part of it. So you can still relate to both sides because like, also like me, you've been around uh, liberals in all forms, like uh, acting, music, whatever you were doing, everyday fashion, everything you were around, you were around them. So you got to catch the flavor too. Yeah, man, that's, that's an amazing story. And to think, you know, I mean, that was, that's in your lifetime, but what, what bothers me is amazing to me, Gary, is you went through that. That was a tumultuous, and horrendous thing that happened in our history for sure. Um, but certainly we're, we're not there anymore. We're beyond that. What, what's crazy to me is you have people who didn't experience any of that like you did, and they still want to, it's like, it's like the slavery issue to me. You know, nobody's had slaves and nobody's been a slave owner today. And it's ironic that the Democrat party wants to resuscitate those wounds, if you will, and prevent them from healing or keep opening them up. I mean, for example, you know, they'll go out and talk about race relations. or They'll talk about Emmett Till, for example. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Bunch of white guys gouged mm -hmm. out a young black kid's eye, right? Killed him because he looked at a Before white guy. Yeah. shot him and threw right. him in the river. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, that was in the South. And he was found not guilty by an all-white jury. And it was Democrats, right, who were responsible for that. It was Democrats who utilized that corruption of the judicial system back then to exonerate whites who committed horrendous crimes like that. And you hear Joe Biden go on a college campus to historically black colleges and talk about Emmett Till without mentioning the fact that it was actually Democrats who were responsible for it. Blows my mind the way they, 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 they do this with history in this country. Um, but but uh, but anyway, you know, I, I don't know. I had some other point, Gary, but I, I forgot. But that was the main one <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to address. You know, it's like it, yeah. it's it's. Well, I'll tell you this has improved. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but they don't want you to see the Democrats don't want you to know that. And here's the interesting thing. First off, they keep talking about racism. What you're seeing now is not real racism. I live through real racism. I know what real racism looks like. I know what it sounds like. I know what it smells like. When I was in the South as a sports writer. But when I was writing for news, I remember I went to Auburn, Alabama to do a piece on Bo Jackson the year he was going to win the Heisman. And what I found out in the Deep South, like in Alabama, if they liked you, the white people, they would embrace you. Come on, meet my wife, meet my children. Yeah, this boy, this boy here to talk about Bo. He going to write a story about Bo. They're bringing me in, feeding me and all this. If they don't like you, they just ignored you. 
you know, by that time, which was, I think, 1985, 84, 85, they just ignore you. Okay, but the Democrats want you to think it's worse than it used to be. And here's the dirty little secret. When they say we have to, because it's about collapsing the Constitution, that's the only thing that keeps us free. That Constitution keeps us from the tyranny they want. So they'll say, well, we have to get rid of the Constitution because the slave, the, the uh, founding fathers, a lot of them were slave owners. The same people saying that, go look in their family tree. Go look up their family chain. And I guarantee you a lot of the very people who are telling you we have to get rid of the Constitution because the founding fathers had slaves, if they go down their family tree, they'll find out a lot of their relatives had slaves, but they don't care about that. You know, so it's all it's all a mess. And just getting to this mess, you wrote this great book, America's Last Stand. Every election is called the most important election in our lifetime. You say America's last stand. So I ask, is 2024 really the most important one? As the late, great, my favorite singer, James Brown, sang, please, 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 Drew, tell us we're not facing another Custer's last stand. We're not facing another siege at the Alamo where it doesn't end well for the good guys if we don't win this one. Yeah, well, firstly, I'll say this, sometimes in my personal life, I struggle to be an optimist, but for some reason, when it comes to this country, maybe because of our rich history and what we've already overcome, I'm an eternal optimist. I really believe in you and me and the American people and that we won't give up and that we will save this country no matter what it takes. When I say it's America's last stand, uh, yes, 2024 is an inflection point in American history. It truly is the most important election of our lifetimes. I would say that 2024 is really the third major test we faced as, as a nation. I would say we had the American Revolution in 1776. I'd say we had the Civil War in 1861. And I would say 2024 is that important on that level. But of course, the difference is that 2024, we're not seeking violent means to save the country. We want to vote for Donald Trump. We want to use the peaceful democratic process uh, to save the country. And the Democrats want to take that away from us, of course, by interfering in the election, by trying to jail uh, uh, President Trump, former President Trump, and so on and so forth. But you know, electing Trump is a necessity for 2024. And there's no reason we shouldn't be proud to back him. We've got a lot of problems right now in the Republican Party. And you know, Donald Trump is not polling two or three points ahead of DeSantis and Haley and these other people. He's like 50 points ahead now. His lead continues to grow. And while I am a, a you know, open and uh, obviously to the primary process, this is a unique time and you've got to read the room. I think that what's happening right now, we're seeing in particular, in my opinion, I'm very disturbed by uh what I'm seeing from the so-called influencers on the DeSantis side who are acting like never Trumpers and trying to do as much damage to Trump as they can. And my point is we need to be spending. But look, every poll is now indicating that Trump can win in 2024. And it's, it's not true when people say that Trump can't win. He's not popular. He got 10 million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. So I'm sorry. What do you mean? He's he's he, if he's so unpopular, why did he gain popularity in 2020? And of course, people don't want to talk about, uh, you know, the use of mail in ballots, unprecedented what they did. So anyway, uh, Trump can win. And I am urging people we are losing time. We have an a historic opportunity 
to not just reelect Trump, but to convince Americans to part ways with the Democrat Party after what this administration and Democrat Party have done to the American people by reminding them, remember what it was like under Trump. And now look what it's like under Biden. Don't let them lie to you. And so we're losing time right now when we have a certain handful of people on our side spending all their energy trying to take down Trump in our own party rather than putting that, uh, well, directing their ire at the real culprits, which is the deep state and so on and so forth. So that, that does bother me a little bit. But, you know, this book I wrote as a political Bible, if you will, just like, you know, as a Christian, you understand we're called we're not called to sit and read our Bible at home. Mm -hmm. And that's it. We're called to go out and make disciples of all nations. It's an activist. Being a Christian is an activist. The same thing with with our duty as patriots right now. And so this book is supposed to uh, help people make the arguments, give it to their friends who are on the fence, because, you know, I, I'm trying to reach people who understand their problems, but maybe don't remember or haven't learned about uh, the history or what's actually going on and making the case to elect Trump, because this should be the easiest election, easiest decision anybody's ever had to make. I mean, Trump versus any Democrat. Are you kidding me? I hear you. I hear you, Drew. Now you see this as an opportunity rather than despair, where you you're looking for a new generation of Americans to help rescue the country. Who are these people, and what do you want them to do? How do you want them to get involved, and how do we find these people that you that we need to help win this election? Great question. Everyone wants to know what can I do? What can I do? Well, I would say the first thing that everyone has to do at a bare minimum is actually be willing to talk to other Americans about politics. I meet some people, Gary, who, people in my family even, it's so, there's so much despair out there. It's so uncomfortable to talk about. People wanna put their head in the sand and just be in denial about the situation. They don't wanna talk about politics because it's uncomfortable. We have to talk to people. We have to talk to people. You can't sit here and expect it. Look, Trump is not like Jesus. He's not the savior. Mm -hmm. He needs you and mm -hmm. me to be the, look, People are out there. I mean, you sit at Thanksgiving and politics might come up and you've got that uncle that's a Democrat and, he, you know, he's talking nonsense. Well, he's watching CNN. He's not going to listen, maybe even to the Gary Benford show here. He's not going to. So who's going to communicate with this person? Who's going to do it? And that's why, honestly, I write the, wrote the book, too. OK, you're uncomfortable. Give this to the give this book to somebody or read the book yourself. You know, I'm trying to make those arguments for people and help them out. Um, but that's the bare minimum when it comes to. Uh, the elections coming up in 2024, volunteering. Look, I, 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 if people around you are doing campaigns and teaching about how to conduct uh, mail-in ballot campaigns and using the same methods the left is using, we have to do that. We can't. We can't let the left, for example, have 12 days to vote for elect to vote for president, and we restrict ourselves to one day. Things happen. You can't make it to the polling place. Your kid gets sick. I don't know. You know, there, there's all these things that happen. So people just need to ask themselves every day, really be laser focused on, hey, I am important. I'm part of history right now. And I want my children and grandchildren to look back on what we did and say, man, they stood up and saved America. As long as you have this attitude of optimism and hope, you will find ways to help and contribute. Those ways will appear to you. It's the same thing. I, I you know, I go to church every Sunday. You know, when, when you're kind of God oriented, Gary, uh, uh, he does speak to you in some way and you find ways to, to help your community. You know, if you're just focused on, Hey, I want to be somebody who's a, a man of service, 
to God, to my church, to my community, you will find ways to serve. If you have the attitude every day when you wake up, this is an important time. I have got to spend time and energy right now in the service of my country. Look, our ancestors ran into bullets and died to give us these freedoms. All we have to do at a bare minimum is talk to people. I mean, get some perspective. I don't mean to, I don't mean to beat people down. It's tough. I get it. You know, and, and we're blessed. We, 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 most of us haven't had to sacrifice like they did, but you know, let's, let's get our heads screwed on straight here. You don't have to pick up a rifle and muzzle, you know, you just have to talk to people and be thankful. I mean, this is what we owe our ancestors, in my opinion, who actually sacrificed so much so that we could enjoy these freedoms. I hear you. Drew, here's the time. Uh, Every now and then we do what I call the mic drop, which means I'll just say one or two words and then just drop the mic and sit back and kick and let you freestyle. You can freestyle for two minutes. So here is your mic drop. I'm going to say the word and drop my mic and just sit back and hear what you have to say. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a wolf in sheep's clothing. I used to love Ron. I want to be very clear. He deserves credit for what he did for Florida. He was a great governor before he became a part-time governor and a full-time presidential nominee, candidate, whatever. Um, Ron is 44 years old, 45 years old. It makes no sense that he felt the urgency that he had to run right now. This campaign, I cannot, I, I, they're doing so much damage to our movement. You have Ron DeSantis, of course, who I look, he's an he's an ambitious person. And I don't I don't take that away from anybody. If you want to be president, of course, you're ambitious. But this is somebody who always planned to seek the highest office in the land. This is somebody who went to an Ivy League law school. He did his five years in the Navy. OK, and then he got out of the Navy and then he went and he was a you know, ran and won for the state legislature, I think, in Florida. And then he went to, you know, Congress. He was going to run for Senate, but Rubio uh, dropped out of the presidential race way back. And so he was honorable and said, OK, no, 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 Marco, you can you can have your seat back. And so he's always been going to it. So he's a he's a professional politician. And that's fine. I measure people based on their results, too. But what's going on right now makes no sense. When you have Donald Trump, who's like, I, I don't know, it's like, uh, you know, I don't pick, pick, pick a quarterback right now. Um, Patrick Mahomes or something like that. And you don't bench Patrick Mahomes and stick in, you know, the backup quarterback or whatever else. I just, the lies coming out of this campaign about Trump, oh, he didn't build the wall. Or, well, why didn't he build the wall? What happened? Well, it was Republicans who refused to fund it. They didn't want to fund it. The same Republicans who had no problem sending $113 billion to Ukraine are the same Republicans who said, you know, 12 billion, we just can't afford to secure the border in America. So I don't like these low blows. And, you know, it's funny, the DeSantis campaign, Gary, they say, you know, we can have eight years of DeSantis instead of four years of Trump. Their math is even stupid. What we were talking about included Ron DeSantis. What we were talking about was four years of Trump and eight years of DeSantis. It was four years of Trump, who's still vivacious. He's ready. The movement's behind him. And he can go into office. You still need some more time, Ron, because you've been a governor but you aren't necessarily ready for president. 
And then you could have literally walked into the White House probably. You see, the DeSantis campaign didn't understand, Gary, that his support was MAGA. That was the majority of his support. They weren't loyal to him. They were loyal to Trump. And so when he decided to stab Trump in the back and run against him, MAGA didn't go behind him. And so it's amazing that they have the, it's, it's the worst run campaign ever. And honestly, what's sad to me, Gary, is I don't know that he can crawl out from under this in the end. And he was a really promising Republican star. And for the life of me, terrible, terrible advisors around him. But I mean, I, I just can't believe it. He, he wants, he's, he can't win the nomination. He's like polling 8%. And he's telling us that Trump can't win and only he can win. I've never heard such delusion in my life. Well, I agree with a lot of what you said there, and everything you said about him is correct. But, you know, that old saying, if it if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it acts like a duck, it's a duck. Uh, what I want you to consider is Ron DeSantis knows exactly what he's doing and that you're going to find out in as history plays this out that we got a great blessing that Ron DeSantis did this because we may not know who people are at the core of their being, but God does. See, and Ron DeSantis turning on MAGA could only do that if somebody else was supporting him. Now, he knows that he can't get MAGA away from Trump, so where was he gonna get his votes and his money from? Just think about that one. Uh, what, what I think you're gonna find out is we had, a, as you said, another wolf's in sheep's clothing. Uh, Drew, I, I, before we go, I have to, I have to let people know I, I, I really truly appreciate you because Drew is part of the Publius PR firm that has gotten me many guests. And here's the way this works. I'll get an email and it'll say, this person's available. And then the CEO, I'll write AJ back, AJ Rice and say, yeah, I'd like to get an interview with that person. And I'll get an email, email back from AJ. Drew is on it. Drew is on it. And next thing I know, bing, 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 I've got the guest. Now, here's the list that Publius, through Drew and AJ Rice, the uh, CEO, uh, Christina Bob, who did the forward to your book, she's been on twice, AF Branco, Ben Carson, Carrie Lake, Dr. Carol Lieberman, Peter Navarro, Judge Janine Pirro, Ian Pryor, Tom Trento, Christian Watson, Will Witt, Naomi Wolf, Kenny Chu, and AJ himself, and now you. I really appreciate you guys. I thank you for the faith that you've shown in me to put these people on the air with me. And I want people to tell, you know, tell people besides your authorship about what you do with Publius and about your podcast. Well, there are a few ways to look at it. In terms of Publius, you know, and the communications aspect and PR being a publicist, really, uh, we live in a, a world in which we're engaged in a battle of narratives constantly, right? So one of the things that AG and I do is uh, we fight the left and their narratives. So, uh, you know, there's, I mean, pick your thing, you know, mass shooting. All right, well, we know where the left's going to go with that narrative, right? They're going to try and grab the guns. It's the gun's fault every single time. So we have people in our stable who are experts who have been, you know, Donald Rumsfeld's, for example, security detail head at one point, who are experts in these fields. And we will pitch people and get them on TV and get them on radio to provide that counter narrative to address these lies and propaganda. So that's one of the things we do. One of the other things we do, of course, is we have very well-known people like those that you just mentioned, Dr. Ben Carson, everyone else. Sometimes they have books out. 
And so we will do the publicity for their books and book them on uh, radio and TV to talk about that. But it's it's not an easy job to to explain. Uh, you know, I'm pouring through the news every day, Gary, with the clients that we have, and I'm looking for ways, um, given their expertise, to make them uh, uh, interesting for people that are looking to book people on their shows. So it's a pretty complicated world. I'm not a very good teacher. I never have been, actually, Gary. I don't know how I some. So I'm kind of a doer. Uh, I've got to get better at teaching. For some reason, with the PR stuff, I just understand it. Uh, maybe it's because I, I I do the podcast too, the Drew Allen show. So. I tell people what's the podcast about. Yeah, well, so the Drew Allen show, uh, you know, I I don't even I don't have guests on my show. Actually, it's just me for about 45 minutes to an hour. But I talk about these issues. You know, I just try to keep people informed about what's going on. You know, I'll look at something that's happened out of the DeSantis campaign and I'll address it like I did with you, Gary, and say, look, this bothers me. Uh, Understanding, of course, that some of my audience are are DeSantis supporters. So, you know, I don't really hold back. I'm respectful uh, to my audience. And, you know, I the one thing I can offer is that I'm very much embedded in this world. I, I do have some insight about what's happening behind the scenes. And because of all the experts I work with, um, I myself am somewhat of an expert in most of these issues, which is why I don't have a lot of guests on, because uh, in many ways, I, I feel confident enough to, to cover the legal side of the Trump fraud cases and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, I'm doing everything I can like you, Gary. I just see a important moment in our history that we have to rise and meet the occasion and do everything we can uh, to save this country. And 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 I want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Uh, I hear that. Uh, Drew's book is called America's Last Stand, everyone. Some of the chapters are the real threat to democracy. Are you better off under the Biden presidency than you were under the Trump presidency? Black votes matter. The Democratic Party's race, the Democratic Party's racism, critical racist theory in DEI, the cult of climate change, the climate change hoax explained, 21st century Jim Crow, the criminalization of patriotism. We are the patriots of 2024. If you get this book, these are the type of things Drew wants you to know about. And Drew, in closing, before I ask you to tell people how to reach you, please tell them why they should get this book. Well, I mean, in a non-arrogant way, I think this is the most important book in America right now. I don't know of anyone else who's written a book with such a specific purpose. I would say that my hope for the book and my hope for uh, what this can contribute to the cause is like Thomas Paine when he wrote Common Sense. He was writing specifically to convince the American colonists to support the war for our independence and to persuade them why it was important. I wrote this book because I understand that if we don't win in 2024, we're in a lot, a lot of trouble. And I understand that, you know, that effort and that ability for us to win comes down to our own initiative to participate and encourage and activate other people around us. So I wrote a book that would give you the tools needed for yourself and others to save the country. So, you know, that that's the reason I wrote the book. And we've got less than a year to do that. And I hope, I, you know, I just hope that this book can do that, can contribute. It's not everything, but it's important. I hear you, Drew. Drew, thanks for coming on. Please tell people how they can reach you and how to get the book. Yeah, so... Best way to reach me, go to my substack, Drew Allen, A-L-L-E-N dot substack.com. 
And uh, the book, Amazon.com, is the best place to, to get it, America's Last Stand. And it's available in uh, Kindle, paperback, and then also uh, I narrate it myself, actually. It's an audiobook. Drew, thanks for coming on, and thanks for uh, helping me uh, secure guests for this show. You, AJ, and Publius has been a great friend to me and have been a big help to this show. Keep on doing what you're doing because we need more people your age that really understand what's going on because hopefully they'll listen to you. An old goat like me, they're like, why should I listen to that old guy? He's like, you know, you know, because I remember when when I was younger, it was like, why am I listening? Why do I want to listen to those old guys? So keep on doing what you're doing. Thanks for coming on. You're always welcome to come back and God bless you. And God bless your family. You too, Gary. Thank you. There you have it, Mr. Drew Thomas Allen. I want to thank Drew Thomas Allen for raising the ante, seeking to enlighten and enlist a new generation of voters to get involved in the 2024 election process to help save America. We need you, each and every one of you, to help us keep our precious country. We're at the edge of the cliff, folks. It's either going to be constitution or communism. Those are the choices. This podcast is available for download at radioinfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. For those who aren't aware, the archive to this podcast is located below on this page. You can listen to more than 125 high-profile guests, including Tracy Beans, Morgan Brittany, Monica Crowley, Kira Davis, Tom Del Beccaro, Diamond and Silk, Rebecca Friedrichs, Jamie Glazoff, Jesse Holguin, Michael Loftus, Kevin McGarry, Nick Searcy, Kevin Sorbo, Brandon Tatum, Herschel Walker. That's all we've got for now, America. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.